Welcome back to episode four of the Fantasy Fallout podcast. This week, the dry spell on NFL news ended, and we have some major breaking news to cover this episode. In addition, we're also going over our running back rankings, top 24 for redraft and for dynasty. Be sure to listen to the end, and thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Today is June 6, 2021, and we are the Fantasy Fallout crew. My name is Jake. This is Brandon. Today's episode is going to be very, very exciting. Brandon, we've been gone for two weeks, and it went from being absolutely dead to being full of life in the NFL world. And uh, major news to cover today. Major news. Yes, major news. Very, very exciting. Why don't you introduce what we have going down? All right, so just real quick before we get into the big one, Aaron Rodgers update. Aaron Rodgers, uh, general manager Brian Guntitz, I I don't know how to pronounce his name, (laughs) in a bit of a spat, Aaron Rodgers obviously does not like him very much. Uh, General manager does not have a choice but to like Aaron Rodgers or he might be out of a job. And on the Packers website, uh, President Ted Thompson uh, wrote on the situation saying it is dividing the fan base that they are fully intending on keeping Aaron as their quarterback for the future this year, as well as into the foreseeable future. So obviously it sounds like they're working on something and Aaron Rodgers still hasn't said anything, but he, he has felt pretty disrespected throughout this whole process. And Thoughts on that real quick, and the recent trade might only increase that disrespect factor. Yeah, yeah, um, and we'll, we'll touch on that a little later, but a lot of nothing going on here with Aaron Rodgers. Um, I feel like, you know, the president and the general manager came out uh, this week and gave us some nice classic, you know, coach speak, but uh, the front office equivalent of that. I don't think we really learned anything from this. They were saying you know, the things that they have to say to try to get Aaron Rodgers back. And, you know, even if um, they are trying to trade Aaron Rodgers, which I don't think they are at this point, uh, those are the types of things you would say to increase his trade value as well. So just a lot of uh, very, very well-drafted public relations type stuff from the Packers organization, um, just to keep us uh, busy until Aaron Rodgers decides that he wants to come play Hopefully that'll happen during camp uh, sometime in July. Hopefully. If he doesn't decide to play, does that increase the value of Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones? Or does it, and this is my opinion as well, hurt them slightly? Obviously you're going to have a very inexperienced, probably not that good quarterback in Green Bay throwing to Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, but those two are going to be the focal point and the quarterbacks are going to kind of latch onto them. And oh, we could no. also see a rise in, in run as well, but thoughts I on think, that real quick. Uh, you know, specifically because the Packers have such a huge drop-off at quarterback after Aaron Rodgers, the offense would just be totally stagnant without him. So those two players are completely dependent on Aaron Rodgers to be 
uh, wide receiver one and, and running back one, respectively. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. But it will be interesting. I think I think the interesting question is whether or not you uh, should be drafting those players now. Um, they they have a little bit of a discount in their average draft position because some people don't uh, don't think Aaron Rodgers will be on that team. So do you think that those guys should be targeted at their discounts? Do you think they should be discounted more given the probability that Aaron is uh, short-lived short with the Packers? What do you think about drafting um, those players in best ball and redraft leagues that are going on right now? In Dynasty leagues, you should probably be drafting them around the same, maybe a little higher because Dynasty is a little different in redraft. But if it's a redraft league, then I'd hold their position for now. And if Aaron Rodgers goes to Denver, or if he retires, or if he holds out, then I would draft them slightly lower. Dynasty, of course, is different. That's like two, three years down the line. Two, three years down the line, they're obviously going to be accustomed without Aaron Rodgers. It'll it'll settle. They'll be fine. Obviously, they won't have like the gigantic numbers that they could put up with Aaron Rodgers, but they're still they still have a very good floor. And that, that to me doesn't scare the, me off in Dynasty. And redrafts, maybe I would draft them a little bit lower, but not too much lower because those are two top-tier guys. All right, big trade. Big, big trade. Around noon today, Julio Jones trade happened. And uh, we predicted this a couple weeks ago. This team was one of the teams in the front running while we were gone, we heard rumblings of Seattle, and that would have been awful for fantasy football uh, if if Julio went to Seattle. So glad that didn't happen. Going to the Tennessee Titans for a second-round pick at minimum. The full trade details are going to be released within the next 48 hours, barring no setbacks. And this is interesting. We talked about it last show. Um Pretty much the quarterback that Julio would go to would be a downgrade. And Ryan Tannehill is not bad, of course. Matt Ryan is just better. He's a better quarterback. He has a higher pedigree. He was drafted one overall. That doesn't really mean but much. But he's pretty much earned that number one draft pedigree status. He's, he's a Hall of Very Good quarterback. Ryan Tannehill is not. Interesting for fantasy football. A.J. Brown very early in the year, was being drafted in the second rounds uh, as a guy who was going to see all the targets. Josh Reynolds was an interesting flex. Now, Julio comes in. He's going to take some of those targets away from A.J. Brown. Does that hurt his ADP? Yes. For Dynasty, I'd still want Brown of the two. He's younger, but... Maybe not this, maybe this year he won't do as well as he could. Interestingly, though, how what are you gonna do against Derrick Henry? If you load the box, right, you're gonna have AJ Brown and Julio Jones. Uh, two physical freaks running wild in your secondary. If you don't load the box, then you have Derrick Henry destroying you for seven, eight yards to carry, maybe more. Maybe he rips off a 30-yard game. This 
to me, for the Tennessee offense, is a less is more type situation. I think Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown are going to see less targets, less carries, because Julio's there. He's going to demand that workload. But they will be more efficient. The question for fantasy owners, and Brandon, this is my question for you before we get into the winners and the losers of this trade, is do you think the offset of the reduction in carries, the reduction in targets, do you think that's going to be offset by the efficiency, or do you have the ADP of these players slightly lower? Yeah, so um, definitely a a bit of a balancing act between those two factors, and I think uh, when I was making my rankings, uh, where it came down for me was that A.J. Brown should be lowered in rankings some. Um, you know, he went from a guy who could be leading the league in targets to somebody who will be among the league leaders in targets. And surely um, many of those targets will, you know, come at a, a come with, with less coverage this time around. So we can expect a higher catch percentage. We, but there's no way he's going to make up uh, the staggering difference in receptions that he would have had with just Josh Reynolds as his wide receiver two versus Julio Jones. I think, so there's a small downgrade for AJ Brown, uh, pretty much definitely. Um, but I do think that Derek Henry is more interesting. And I personally moved him up in my RB rankings just because I think this offense is going to be so much more dynamic. Uh, the number of touchdown opportunities available to Derek Henry should be increasing significantly. And I think it's nice to note that Derrick Henry happened to benefit from the addition of a receiver who is known for not catching a lot of touchdowns. So Julio Jones is gonna be moving the Titans uh, down the field rapidly. That offense should be pretty prolific. And Derrick Henry should be able to punch in many more scores than he would have otherwise. At least that's, that's my running thesis for Derrick Henry. So I have AJ Brown down a little bit Derrick Henry up a little bit, benefiting from that additional efficiency as well as additional touchdown output. What do you think, Jake? I I have to agree. Uh, Julio is notorious for not scoring touchdowns. It's it's a running joke at this point. You you he could go for eighteen hundred yards, but he's still only going to get five touchdowns. Like it's a fact. So I think Derrick Henry. That's really good that it was Julio and maybe not like a Juju or like someone else that like eats targets and gets touchdowns. But I I think, and I I didn't really move Derrick Henry. I, I, I didn't have a time to relook at my rankings right when I, when I got home, because obviously it happened very recently, but I will say if I were to relook at them, I probably would not change much for Derrick Henry. I maybe cut down the number of carries he gets. That's, that's it. I think he's going to see an uptick in efficiency, and this is going to be great. And while we're on it, I think this extends Derrick Henry's window by a year or two. Uh, he's not going to see as many boxes. It's, he's not going to be hit as much. So maybe those questions that people in redraft had was, okay, Derrick Henry's seen like a monstrous carry and workload these past few years. Is he going to fall off the cliff? I think – he's not going to this year. It was a possibility and it was something I kept in the back of my head, but I feel very comfortable with Derrick Henry this year. And I think this also extends his life in dynasty by a year or two. So great for him. 
AJ Brown, I think it might take him a year or two before he really becomes the alpha because Julio Jones is Julio Jones. All right. Winners and losers of this trade. For me, my two big winners fantasy football wise are Calvin Ridley and Mike Davis. And my losers are, and this is interesting, uh, Josh Reynolds. And I'm going to say Julio is a loser in this. My winners, I think, are pretty straightforward. Calvin Ridley's going to command an insane target share at this point. I can see him commanding a quarter of the targets in that offense. He he could very well break the receiving record. And when we get into our wide receiver rankings, they're going to be they're going to be adjusted for this trade because this has massive implications for three possible wide receiver ones. Mike Davis is a huge winner as well because I feel like without the threat of Julio, the the Falcons offense is going to have to adjust and run a little bit more. He might see more boxes, but I feel also Kyle Pitts could really tear apart a a stacked box. So it's going to limit the amount of boxes he sees as well because of Kyle Pitts. I think Mike Davis just got more opportunity and he does not have competition in this offense. And until he gets competition, I, I view him as a very safe running back too. And we're going to get into that in our running back rankings a little bit later. My losers. Oh no, I'll I'll comment on your winners real quick because I disagree about your thoughts on Mike Davis. So uh, a couple of reasons I have for you here. So first off, I mentioned that I think Derrick Henry will get more touchdowns because of, Julio Jones's presence as somebody who can move the ball down the field. And I think not having Julio Jones in the Falcons offense will leave Atlanta from an above average offense with a bad defense to a average to below average offense with a bad defense. So the Falcons aren't going to be moving the ball as much. Mike Davis's touchdown output in my mind is going to go way down. And I do agree with you that there could be more stacked boxes and I also think that Julio Jones's presence in the game and what he can contribute to an offense directly leads to winning, which uh, ha- increases the, the positive game scripts for Mike Davis. But with Julio Jones off the team, I expect them to be trailing for the majority of the season, uh, which will certainly reduce Mike Davis's carry output um, as running backs typically see the ball when their teams are ahead. So... Don't love this for Mike Davis. And I think, you know, instead of being a low talent, high opportunity running back on a good offense, now he's a low talent, high opportunity running back on a bad offense. So I see this as a pretty big downgrade for him. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I don't think he's low talent. I think he's he's pretty decent. He did pretty well in Carolina, and that offensive line was putrid there. I think Atlanta's offensive line is much better. I do see the argument, though, that he could be a loser in all this, and I will. And I'm not going to disagree with any of the points that you made because while I said, yeah, he might see more stacked boxes, I don't know how much they're going to see. He could very they could they could very well stack the box and double up Calvin Ridley and that offense could do nothing. I have faith in Matt Ryan as a commander and as a leader, though, and I think that he, he's got to put up a top 10 offense no matter what. But that gets me into my, I think, one of my two biggest losers, I think Julio from a fantasy perfection 
per perspective loses his trade. In a real life perspective, I think he just extended his career by two years because I don't, he's not going to be asked to be like alpha dog. Like you're going to see 200 targets, whatever in Tennessee, because they have these pieces and they have a pretty good offense there. But he's had Matt Ryan throw him the football his entire career. And Matt Ryan throws a very pretty ball. Matt Ryan is a very smart very accomplished quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. He's had his renaissance for the past two years, but before then he was meh. He was average to below average by NFL oh, this standards. That, this is not that Ryan Tannehill, Jake. This is Ryan Tannehill, the most efficient passer in the league, the NFL passer rating leader two years ago. This I will say nice this. I'll say this. If Ryan Tannehill maintains his efficiency, then Julio is not a loser in fantasy football. He, he's going to retain his value. If Ryan Tannehill regresses, and I imagine he will regress a little bit because the Tennessee defense is not that good. They're going to be, I think, in shootouts. And we've seen Ryan Tannehill with a dominant offensive line, a ridiculous run game and top shelf wide receiver options and a good defense on that Tennessee. That Tennessee team was very, very good. It is very, very good. It went to the AFC championship. It, it made, it won the division. This is a, this is not a team that's like nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven, like they were before. This is a very good team. If their defense is not that good, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Ryan Tannehill. And to me, he's he's got – I think Ryan Tannehill is an above-average quarterback. We've had two years. And as we saw and as we can see, quarterbacks can change on a dime. I, I knew what Matt Ryan was. We know what Matt Ryan is. We think we know what Ryan Tannehill is. And that, to me, could make Julio a loser. I, I do think that Julio is, is a small loser in this situation. I do. But I don't think, for me, it's because of the quarterbacks. I think Ryan Tannehill and Matt Ryan are pretty similar at this point in their respective careers. Matt Ryan being maybe less efficient, but with more touchdown upside than Tannehill. But, but I, what I will say is the volume difference between Tennessee and Atlanta is likely what will make the difference with Julio Jones. Um, they pass 40 times, 42 times a game in Atlanta. In Tennessee, you know, maybe that'll be 30, 32. So that's where I'm going to see Julio being downgraded. The touchdown numbers could come up a tiny bit. I don't think they will. I think touchdowns will stay steady. Receptions will go down uh, for Julio Jones in Tennessee just because there isn't as big of a receiving pie there like there was in Atlanta. So, yep. I, I do think that Julio Jones is a small loser in this. Uh, do you have another loser, Jake? I do. It's my, it's our it's our boy. It's our boy Josh Reynolds. We 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 both pegged him as at least a flex. You could get him in the 14th and the 15th round. Now we have to fade him. I think I think he's the clear wide receiver three, possibly the four on that team, and it he's done as a fantasy asset. It's it's so sad too because I was so excited for him, and 
who knows? He could still have his breakout season. But at, right now, he's not – no, he's not going to be a huge focal part of, point of that offense like I thought he could potentially go into. Yep, uh, you're definitely right on that. Josh Reynolds is done. You can uh, clear your mind of him for a while. And I'll mention uh, the, the remaining winners and losers I have here. Uh, you covered the big ones. Uh, but uh, Kyle Pitts is certainly a winner. Uh, you can definitely expect uh, increased target share, even as a rookie at the tight end position. Um, I saw many in the industry move him up to tight end four in their rankings if he wasn't there already. already. And um, I think that's probably where he should be in rankings at this time. But I will say, if you are one of those people who thinks that Kyle Pitts will not do well in his rookie year, because he's a rookie tight end and they just don't do that well, if that is your thought process, then you should be drafting Russell Gage in every single league that you are in. He will be the new wide receiver too in Atlanta. He will be a flex option, a good wide receiver four, possibly a wide receiver three for your 12-team redraft leagues. But if you don't think that Kyle Pitts is going to have a productive rookie year, then Russell Gage will be a low-end wide receiver two that you can get in the very late rounds of your draft at the moment. So I'll say closely monitor Russell Gage, especially if you don't like Kyle Pitts. And uh, last on my list here is Titans tight end Anthony Berkser. Um, I thought he was a very, very intriguing late round, last round of your draft tight end uh, because he had such a big opportunity with just A.J. Brown and Josh Reynolds ahead of him in the pecking order, especially with Derrick Henry not commanding targets. Uh, but now that Julio Jones is there, I'd say he moves back to being an average tight end in terms of somebody you could grab with your last pick, you know, not materially different from your O.J. Howards, your Irv Smiths, your Chris Herndons, kind of back in that group uh, instead of being, you know, more of a, an intriguing upside option. Yep, I agree with that. And we've had the Kyle Pitts discussion before. You, you, tight end is so shallow. I, I think at this point he's going to break the rookie tight end receiving record. He may be the greatest rookie tight end we've ever seen. So I'm comfortable with taking him as a top five tight end. I'd probably put him at five, maybe six, because I think Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson are a little bit more safe. Uh, but I, if anybody's going to do it, if anybody is going to beat Evan Ingram's tight end rookie record, it is going to be him. And Russell Gage is – I feel like the Tennessee and Atlanta fantasy situations just flipped, except the tight ends were a little bit more set in stone. Uh, Russell Gage is the new Josh Reynolds. I, 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 he's going to be at least a flex. It's going to be great. All right, final thing before we go into the running back rankings. Zach Ertz, trade discussions, uh, those have been going on for a while now. Uh, the Eagles made a bet trading with the Colts that Carson Wentz was the single biggest problem on their season. I completely and vehemently disagree with the Eagles on that. I think Carson Wentz was the least of their problems. He, he was horrible. He, he played horribly. Don't get me wrong. But he was a top 10 tight end for, sorry, top 10 quarterback for three straight years. Zach Ertz was a top five tight end for three straight years, fell off a cliff. I think the Eagles 
And what happened with Carson Wentz was a lot more of a system issue and a lot more of Doug Peterson unwilling and unable to adapt his scheme than it was Carson Wentz being terrible. He, he did make bad reads and he did make terrible plays. Do not get me wrong. I'm holding him wholly accountable for that. However, he was a top 10 quarterback for three straight years. He was an MVP caliber quarterback. I don't think that went away. I think a significant part of that was the Eagles mismanaging him, uh, the Eagles destroying him mentally, uh, the future wide receiver situation. And Zach Ertz is an old tight end and teams would just double cover the tight ends. Uh, he wouldn't have anyone to throw to. So interesting that the Eagles ended up doing that. I, I don't disagree, but I do like Jalen Hurts as a fantasy asset and potentially as an Eagles quarterback. I'm hesitant on crowning him that though. And we'll get into that when we go into the quarterback episode, but Zach Ertz, I think the top three trade destinations is he stays with Philadelphia. I think that's the worst one for fantasy and that's going to cap Dallas Goddard. He goes to Seattle a la like a Greg Olson, which could be fun. Or I think, and this might be the most likely one, he goes to Arizona. Thoughts on that? Thoughts on Zach Ertz and uh, how that impacts fantasy? Yeah, so um, I don't think Zach Ertz is going to wind up staying in Philly. Um, before some comments he made a few weeks ago, maybe it was possible that the organization could just uh, grow and learn to like Zach Ertz and give him another chance in a more productive scheme. But I think based on some of the things he said, he wants to go. He's kind of tired of everybody in the front office, and, and I understand that. Um, so yep. I think he's probably gone. Uh, where he's going to go it's interesting. Arizona is a nice destination for him. Um, it's just that, you know, the Cardinals have had some opportunities to invest in the tight end position and they haven't. So why would they do it now? I guess something you could be asking, but they do have a need in theory. Um, and Zach Ertz could still be good in theory if it was the system and the coverage that was holding him back last year. Certainly the Arizona system is completely different and the coverage will be completely different with the other weapons they have there. Um, so I think that'd be a nice place for him where um, it wouldn't really take away from the other Arizona receiving options. Not, not really at all, in my opinion, but it would help him uh, return to relevancy. So I, I do like that destination. Um, but there aren't very many great destinations for Zach Ertz to become you know, anything more than a late round streamer. So yep. at this point in his fantasy career, uh, just a couple of years after being the tight end three, I think you don't need to dedicate very much time to Zach Ertz anymore until he picks a new team. Kind of a sad state of affairs, but I think that's how it is. I agree with that. And with that, we're going into the running back rankings. Running back is my favorite position to evaluate. I'm notoriously good at evaluating it. I have a really good hit-miss ratio on this position. I'm so excited for this. And we're going to start with number one, who I hate to put at number one every single year. And every single year, I still do it. Uh, we still do it. He's number one until... We see otherwise it's Christian McCaffrey. And right now, 
On the low end, I have Christian McCaffrey going for 1,300 yards, 11 touchdowns on the ground. 93 reception. This is why he's RB1, people, because he's never had a season in his career under 80 receptions and under 900 receiving yards, I think. Something ridiculous. 978 receiving yards and five touchdowns for me. He's clear-cut running back one, as much as I hate to say it. And I think that's all there is to say about him. He's Christian McCaffrey. Yep, it's boring. It's been the same for three, four years. Um, but this is how it is. Until, you know, with the one injury, that's not enough to discount Christian McCaffrey away from the number one overall position, especially considering the in- injury history of the other running backs uh, in the top 10. So, you know, until Christian McCaffrey has some big injury or something really changes in that system, he will be the number one running back in fantasy. And that's that. And to clarify, RB1 means of the running backs, you're going to draft him first. That doesn't mean he's going to end up the running back one. We think he's the likeliest to do so. But last year, we correctly predicted Alvin Kamara as the RB1. So of these guys, uh, you have at number two, Dalvin Cook. I have at number two, Saquon. Saquon, to me, this year, is, good, is heavily discounted because of the recent injury history. Uh, they The Giants got better offensive talent around them. I think Jan, Daniel Jones is terrible, so I think they're going to have to rely on the run game a lot more than people think, including opposing coaches who I don't think are going to stack the box against Saquon. They're going to have to cover Kenny Galladay, Darius Slate. The Giants have receiving top. So this Saquon, to me, is a fun running back too. And for Dynasty, for sure, you could argue him potentially as RB1. I think his injury history doesn't warrant that, but I like Saquon a lot. And then Dalvin Cook, I have very close in my rankings. So when I rank my running backs, uh, there's usually a gap between Christian McCaffrey and the rest of them. And this shows Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Saquon, any of those guys, I think, you can interchange them between two and four, and you will walk away happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, Saquon Barkley, definitely a fun number two, probably the second most upside of anybody on this list. Um, and if you're chasing upside, then that is probably the way to go. Um, but I have Dalvin Cook at number two. And for me, it comes down to risk. Um, Maybe the return is potentially higher for Saquon if everything breaks right. But Dalvin Cook is basically being dropped into the exact same system as he was in last year. And last year, he produced tremendously. Uh, He showed that he was more durable than people had previously given him credit for. Um, And I'm going to to bank on the the little bit of extra durability he has relative to Saquon and the tremendous efficiency in a consistent system. Uh, We've seen Saquon really struggle on a yards per carry basis in some games with that Giants offensive line, with the lack of threat that comes with Daniel Jones. And, you know, that could change this year with the new additions like Kenny Galladay. But why would I bet on that happening when I can get last year's running back to in the exact same situation? So I'm sticking with Dalvin Cook. I have Saquon Barkley down at five for those reasons, the, the injuries combined with the potential for inefficiency. Um, but I will say that, you know, it is rather close between 
two and five on my rankings in particular. Um, but yep. our next biggest difference here in our rankings, you have your beloved Alvin Kamara at three after McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. I have Alvin Kamara down at six um, and, and noticeably below Saquon Barkley. My concerns uh, for Alvin, are, they're not durability. It's just about how prolific that offense can be with Taysom Hill potentially at quarterback or how many targets Kamara will get with Jameis Winston at quarterback, uh, somebody who, who likes to throw the ball down the field. So I absolutely knew this question was coming up because Alvin Kamara, to me, you said uh, Dalvin Cook uh, is more durable. He's the most durable. I disagree. Alvin Kamara, I think, is more durable than both Saquon and Dalvin Cook. So I think longevity-wise for Dynasty and for Redraft, Alvin, I think, has the least amount of injury risk. He's never really had a major injury, and I know people are going to be like, oh, well, it's coming. But oh, well, he's, he's older. He's older. So that for Dynasty, you know, that is, is a Is thing. he older? Older than Dalvin Cook. That is true. I know he's older. He, prob- he might be older than a year or two, but I don't think that matters because he's, I think, seen less wear and tear. If it's a year, that doesn't really matter. I think the wear and tear on the running backs are much more. But he's also regardless, a guy, so you got to think the wear and tear is going to be, you know, more impactful on somebody like him versus uh, somebody like Dalvin, who's who's a bigger body. That but, that's that's fair, but I think Alvin gets hit less. Regardless, Alvin Kamara is the only other one of my running backs to get over eighty receptions. I have him dead set at eighty. Uh, if you look at his career numbers, I'm pretty sure it's 82, 86, 80. Alvin's going to consistently get you 80 receptions a year. And I know I'm going to hear, but Jake, Taysom Hill or, or Jameis Winston are going to be a quarter. I don't want to hear it. And look at, so looking at the first few games that Taysom Hill was there, it was terrible as an Alvin Kamara owner. Uh, I was, I was fighting for buying the playoffs. I, I was gearing up for my championship runs and I saw two and I saw one on the target sheet. I was freaking out. Then Sean Payton says, oh, I think Taysom learned the playbook enough. He's shown enough. We can open it up a little bit. Look at Alvin Kamara's targets and catches after that. I know in that third game, he got 10. And in that fourth game, he got over six. He's fine. I wouldn't stress it at all. And he's also it's also 17-game season. So he's going to, he may even exceed 80 targets. He may go towards 90, maybe a hundred, who knows? Probably not a hundred, but Alvin to me is fail proof. He's, he doesn't get hit as many as, as much as other running backs do. Yeah. He's smaller. If the hits are going to count more, but he's so shifty. He's so good at running out of bounds. If you watch him play, He's so elusive and he's physical too. He's such a fun running back to watch. I haven't seen, I have not seen a player like Alvin Kamara. And this might sound ridiculous, but some of the stuff that he does, if you watch old football film, reminds me a little bit of what Barry Sanders could do. I'm, I think that high of him. He's, he's that good in my mind. So I'm not worried about Kamara at all. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a little bit of a reason to be worried about, about receptions. Um, you know, maybe it's overblown. 
Uh, maybe I'll give you that. Um, but quarterbacks who like to throw to running backs, you know, your Tom Brady's, your Phillip Rivers, older, less mobile guys. Drew Brees certainly fit that bill. Uh, Jameis and Taysom don't. So I'm just not sure it's going to be there. But, you know, it, it certainly could be built into that scheme in New Orleans just because they've been doing it for so long. So, you know, I would, if I had to guess, I would say he'd have his lowest reception total of his career this coming year. Um, but, you know, that's certainly no, no sure thing. But I will say that that offense, in my mind, is, is almost definitely going to be worse without Drew Brees, uh, which caps his, tight, his touchdown upside some, uh, which brings me to my number three running back, who you have way down at running back number eight. I and think, Derek, yeah, at eight. That is Derrick Henry. So I have Derrick Henry at number three. I moved him up from number seven to number three because of this Julio Jones news. And I think, you know, parts of the reason why people don't like Derrick Henry in general is because when they're stacking the box, he can get inefficient. Um, and when that's happening and the game script doesn't go his way, his week-to-week floor is much lower than some of these other PPR guys. And I think that the addition of Julio Jones will be taken so seriously by defensive coordinators that Derrick Henry will not be able to see the same stacked boxes this year as he has in the prior two years. And this factor combined with the Titans defense being a little bit better than last year uh, should end and the, the return of Taylor Lewan to that offensive line completely healthy should lead to Derrick Henry having his most efficient season from a yards per carry basis and potentially the most touchdowns he's had as that offense should be pretty prolific now. So if I'm giving him the most yards per carry he's ever had and the most touchdowns he's ever had, I'm going to put him at running back three, which would be among the highest finishes he's had in his career in PPR scoring, even without that uh, receptions floor. And it is always possible that they start to incorporate him in the passing game, like they say they're going to try to do every year. So there's a lot of new for Derrick Henry uh, and a lot of new that I like. So I, I think his, his running back three position is justified over some of those other risky options who have some newness, but more negative newness or, or more uncertainty. Uh, why do You're you not going to get an argument from me on here. I, I agree with your rationale. And, if, and I think the top six to seven running backs can really be in flux. I have Derek at eight solely because of the receptions. If he were to even get 40 receptions, he's RB1. Yep. And I, I think 40 might be, might be pushing it. Um, but I think this could be the year where maybe he gets to 30. Um, but, but I'm not even really counting on that. I think the touchdowns could be, um, you know, you're not going to project somebody to get 20 touchdowns, but I think that's, certainly in Derrick Henry's range of outcomes. And he's, I think he's the only running back who has that in their range of outcomes. So just, yep. you know, in case he reaches that, that high upside, I have him ranked nice and high. Um, but I'm curious, there are a couple of guys here you're going to have to justify for being over Derrick Henry for me. And why don't you get into your running backs uh, five and six there? You seem to really like. Oh, yes. I'll, I'll go into the running back five, six, and seven. My running back seven, I'll go first, is Aaron Jones. I'm holding off, uh, and I think I mentioned the top seven to eight running backs. You can really interchange. I'm, I'm still of that mindset. I'd be thrilled if I got any of the, uh, these guys in a draft. For context, 
my running backs, the projections I have after Joe Mixon, who spoiler alert is my RB 13. I do not have a running back over 15 points a game. The position is extremely, extremely shallow. It's, it's bad. And I think it's really bad this year in particular because of what happened in free agency. Aside from that, Aaron Jones is a guy who can easily get 20 points per game. He's a little inconsistent at times. Yes. And I'm not going to disagree with your number four ranking. I think he could be up for a career year. I will say though, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, he is upside is going to be capped a little bit because I don't know if the new quarterback is going to be as open to throwing to the running back. That that's it on Aaron Jones. Zeke, I have it six. I think the Zeke hate in the fantasy community is completely overblown. I think it's a lot to do with Zeke fatigue because he's been in the league for so long, like five, six years, right? Like when's he going to hit the cliff? He's 25. He's younger than Alvin Kamara and maybe younger than Dalvin Cook. I think he's the same age as Christian McCaffrey. He's been consistently a low to mid RB1 for five years. And the type of runner that he is and the way Dallas uses him is sustainable. It's a sustainable running style, and you don't see that a lot. So I'm not worried about Zeke at all. I do think he's a little bit capped because of the Dallas defense. I think they're going to be in a little bit of more shootouts than people like. And then the Dallas offensive line has gotten worse over the past three years. The Great Wall of Dallas 2.0 has started to crumble. It started to fade. But those guys, I don't care about. I am in love with Antonio Gibson. I get so excited every time I talk about him. Every time I watch him on a football field, you should grab him. He's my RB5. He's, he's going to see work. Ryan Fitzpatrick is your quarterback. He's, he's up and down. But when he's down, he's down. And when he's down, you're going to need to run the football. Washington has a top five defense. They are going to hold on to leads. That means they're going to run the ball. Ryan Fitzpatrick throws to his running backs. He did in Miami. It was great as a Miles Gaskins owner to know that you are going to get like five to six targets a game. Antonio Gibson's going to get that. Ron Rivera has been on record, and he's a straight shooter in, in coach speak. He's, he's the guy that says, I'm, I, I trust Ron Rivera more than I trust pretty much every coach in the league in regards to coach speak. He says, we love him. He's Christian McCaffrey. I love him. I think he could be Christian McCaffrey. Antonio Gibson to me is he runs like Josh Jacobs. He catches the football like Alvin Kamara. And he's just so good. He's so good. Guys, if you, if, I know a lot of people don't watch Washington football, but he's so, so good. And that team is so, so good. They could make a real run in the playoffs. I think they're the best team in the division by far, not even close. And 
Antonio Gibson looked so amazing down the stretch. I, I'm in love. I have him as RB5. I have him for nearly 1,500 yards. I have him for 12 touchdowns on the ground. I have 50 receptions, 400 receiving yards, and three touchdowns. And I think that's that's enough for RB5. I, I can't stop gushing over him. My goodness. That is uh, quite quite the review of Antonio Gibson. Uh, for reference, he's my running back 12. Um, I do still like him quite a bit. Not to the tune of 1,500 rushing yards. Um, not, not for me in that respect. Um, I think you know, what limits Antonio Gibson is the fact that the receiving work is not guaranteed. Last year, they, they used a committee approach in Washington. Um, even with Antonio Gibson clearly being the most talented option there. So it's tough to say what they'll do this year. And I, I also think last year they ran the ball more and they passed the ball to running backs in general more than they will this year. Now that they have Curtis Samuel uh, in the fold, as well as their first round or the, the wide receiver, first wide receiver taken Diami Brown. So that offense is, is going through some newness. Uh, and it should result in less usage for the running back position in general. Maybe the offense will be a little bit better, which could lead to a few more touchdowns, but Gibson was certainly the beneficiary of a lot of touchdowns last year anyway. Um, you know, definitely like him. There is not a huge difference in my mind between him and, and my running back, you know, seven. Um, just, just some extra uncertainty surrounding Gibson that I think you can avoid but certainly for Dynasty, uh, running back five is, is, is a reasonable place to put him. He's so young. He did not get very many carries in college, so he's so fresh. Uh, definitely a dynamic player. Just some questions about you know, whether or not Ron Rivera's words are coach speak and what exactly they're going to do, what that offense is going to look like, how good is it going to be. Tough to say, really. But I want to go back to your running back six for a moment here, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I will caution all of you not to draft Ezekiel Elliott as the running back six overall. Uh, he could be, he could finish as the running back six. It's certainly possible. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys could finish as high as the running back six, but not all of these guys have Tony Pollard in their backfield stealing carries every single week, more and more each week last season. And not all these guys have gotten less efficient for three years straight while their backup is getting more efficient behind them. And not all these guys have uh, an offensive line that went from the best in the league to average to below average with a bad defense that doesn't, you know, produce positive game scripts. Uh, you know, so some people might be discounting Ezekiel Elliott too much, but there are a number of things that, that go against Zeke. Uh, finishing this high, you know, he's he's playing for his job, I suppose, but he's pretty much definitely cut after this year, regardless of how well he does, given that contract situation there. So he might not be as motivated as wow. he was in the past. Uh, so I have him way down at running back 17. Wow. Uh, I think he probably has the most upside of any of the running backs that I have that low just given his track record of success. But I'll stay away from Zeke Elliott this year and let somebody else take on all that uncertainty 
because there's plenty of value you can find, you know, where Zeke's being drafted in the second or third round. Zeke's going in the first round. I don't know what I don't know what mock drafts you've been to, but he goes at like one eight. Uh, maybe maybe in some maybe in some I, I, in a PPR draft, you know maybe, but but Tony Pollard is just too present, and that's too close to a true committee for me to uh, to take part so early in the draft. So yep. I'll, I'll stay away um, and bring up my running back seven, somebody who I like much more than Ezekiel Elliott. His floor is much higher, and that's Austin Eckler. Uh, Austin Eckler, when he was playing with Justin Herbert last year, was catching the ball like crazy, like he always does. Very efficient on the ground. They made some offensive line upgrades in Los Angeles, adding a first-round pick offensive lineman as well as an offensive lineman in free agency. So lots to like about Austin Eckler. Very high usage. They did not add anybody in terms of uh, receiving core, so he should, you know, keep his role as the number two after Keenan Allen in the passing attack. There, they lost Hunter Henry. They still have Mike Williams, the deep threat, um, but he's not going to threaten Austin Eckler's workload. Uh, they they got a sixth round running back in Larry Roundtree, who's a nice player. He'll be a nice backup for Austin Eckler. Uh, maybe a good handcuff later in your draft, but Austin Eckler has the same situation as last year, which was one that was incredibly productive for fantasy when he was on the field. So big fan of Austin Eckler, locked him in as my running back seven. Um, and I'd be very, very happy with him in the second round as my running back one. Absolutely. I have him in at 12 and I think uh, we're winding down a little bit. So we're going to, um, we're going to run through it. We're going to like, no, we have several people in common. And then there's a couple key ones that we want to wrap up with. Uh, Austin, to me, my only reservation is he doesn't run. He's like a wide receiver. So, but he's he's at the running back position, which I think inflates his value quite a bit. Uh, he's he's not a guy that gets more than 800 yards on the ground and like two, three touchdowns. He, he never was. The value in Austin Eckler, and people are adverse to Austin Eckler because of this notion that he's a running back that doesn't run. Well, guys... Alvin Kamara has not had a thousand yard rushing season and he's like running back two, running back one. He's so good. Uh, Austin Eckler to me is like budget Alvin Kamara uh, with a little bit more of an injury history and a little less running upside, but I would be very happy with Austin Eckler in the second round you're getting a guy who's basically like a wide receiver one at running back. So it's take him. It's a discount. You need running back so shallow. Um, Okay. Looking at the rest of the list, uh, you have Joe Mixon at eight. I have him at 13. We both, my guess is have him over 15 points per game. And that's all that matters. Uh, Number nine. uh, Then you're number 10, Jonathan Taylor. I think he's an RB1. I'm a little bit higher on Carson Wentz than most people. Uh, The Colts are really, really good. I think they're the best team in that division. Whether or not they win that division depends on how healthy the Titans are and if their defense can marginally improve. But Jonathan Taylor is safe. Marlon Mack, I think, caps his upside a little bit, as well as Naheem Hines. But Frank Reich, unlike a certain coach in Philadelphia, knows how to utilize multiple running backs. 
And I'm, I'm excited for Jonathan Taylor's sophomore season. Another sophomore I'm excited for, you have a little bit lower at your 15. I have at my 10, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He was really good last year. He had over a thousand all-purpose yards and he was hurt for like four games. And plus the Chiefs got beat up in the Super Bowl with their pass-happy approach. They're going to run the ball more. Nick Chubb, you have at nine, I have at 11. I, he's really, he's really movable. And a lot of these like, eight to like 15 type guys, you can argue one way or another. Uh, Nick Chubb is just so good. I I know more people started watching the Browns, paid attention to them. They they climbed out of that um, irrelevancy, uh, we'll call it Canyon that they were in. Like, (laughs) my God, that, what a history. But the Browns fans deserve that. Anyways, Nick Chubb is so good. He's the heart and soul of that team. He's going to see at least 1,200 yards. Uh, I have him 1,600 yards. I have him at 1,600 yards. I think he's so good. Uh, we talked about Austin Eckler. We talked about Joe Mixon. Uh, Cam Akers, you have at 11. I have at 14. He's, to me, a border guy. I have him at like 14.9 points per game. So he's right there. It really depends on how quickly Matthew Stafford adjusts to the Ram. Rams offense and who he targets because Matt Stafford, like Tom Brady, like Drew Brees, like a lot of the good quarterbacks, like Matt Ryan, like Philip Rivers, uh, he'll target his running backs in the past game. And Cam could see a huge, huge uptick. Uh, Daryl Henderson is young and he's got a touchdown vulture. Uh, but even so, Cam should see somewhere between 12 to 16 carries a game and like four to five targets a game. And that is a lot in this modern fantasy football world. Uh, Najee Harris, we both have around the 13 to 15 mark. I'm a little lower. You're a little higher. I just hearing the Steelers fans, hearing stuff about the Steelers, their offensive line is meh and that could cap them. And Ben Roethlisberger is bad. I've never been a Roethlisberger fan. I've always thought he was a okay quarterback. He was never like this. And there's immediate perception of him being like consistently a top 10 guy. He's averaged, I think like 13 to 14 interceptions over his career per year. He's not that good. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Roethlisberger. He gives me a sour taste in my mouth. David Montgomery, I have at 17, you have at 14. He's interesting, and it depends on if Justin Fields is there. Clyde Edwards, so there we went over. We both have J.K. Dobbins at 16. What's up with that? Yeah, that's nice. I think it's about right for J.K. Dobbins. You know, clearly very, very talented. Concerns about how much of a committee that's going to be, especially with uh, Greg Roman coming out and saying that Justice Hill has looked really improved. So, uh, you know, I had him a little bit higher when it was uh, just J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. Uh, And I want parts of that rushing attack where I can get them. But if that's going to be a three-headed monster and if if Justice Hill is going to take passing down work, uh, I like J.K. Dobbins down here at 16, ahead of guys like Zeke and Gaskin, but below, you know, your guys who have a chance to be the solo running backs on their teams. Yep. Uh, 
Another guy we both have ranked the same, Miles Sanders at 24, capping off for a 12-team league in RB2. Let's talk about him for a second before we go into it. And the other running backs on your list are Miles Gaskins, you have at 18. I have, I believe, at 20. Uh, Chris Carson, you have at 19. I have at 18. Uh, Josh Jacobs, I have at 21. You have at 23. And then we differ on the rest of the running backs. Uh Surprised to see you don't have DeAndre Swift there. I have him at 22, but I think we should save him for after Miles Sanders and then we'll wrap up because you have Chase Edmonds, Damian Harris, Raheem Mostert. I have Melvin Gordon, Mike Davis. And at that point, we're just taking pot shots on running backs that we think could be good. Melvin Gordon, I think, is going to decrease in value throughout the year, but he he will he will, I think, keep RB2 value in redraft this year. In Dynasty. Uh, I would stay away. Right. Miles Sanders. uh, What do we think of him? I think he's a guy that's has potential and always has one or two really, really good fantasy games. And then the rest he's scoring like five to seven points per game. Yeah. I think he's, you know, clearly very talented, big runs all the time. That offensive line in Philadelphia is great. Uh, question you know he'll have a running quarterback so he should benefit from a little bit less pressure in a box better receivers he should benefit it's just all about how much the other running backs are going to be used in philadelphia um i think a theme uh, you know we've differed on a lot of these running backs here but i think a universal theme is that competition is something we are avoiding first um and miles sanders has quite a bit of competition uh you know from veterans and from rookies uh, so having him here at 24, you know, he could easily surpass this if he becomes the workhorse. Uh, after If week one he gets 23 carries, I'd move him up to, you know, right around 10 or 11. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be getting 13, 14 carries a game, sharing with everybody else, which will leave him uh, pretty inconsistent. Uh, so I have him down here at 24 behind some other guys who also might be sharing the ball but might have more uh, more pass catching work like Chase Edmonds uh, and, and maybe more touchdown upside like Josh Jacobs. Yeah, completely agree. And I know we both lay, love Gainswell. So it's cutting into that. Miles is just, and we, at this point, we need to see some sort of proof that he can, he can cut it as a fantasy football running back at the next level. All right. Final topic of the day, DeAndre Swift. Um, he's been hyped so far. Uh, some people have him as high as RB10. I have him at 22. He's not on your list. Yeah, um, yeah so I did a, a top 30 before this show, um, and I put DeAndre Swift at running back 25, so he just misses this list here. Uh, right around Travis Etienne and Kareem Hunt in that tier is where I put him, um, a little bit ahead of Mike Davis. Um, and for me, you know, what comes down to DeAndre Swift He's had some productivity, especially at the end of last year, but he loses in the game script department. Uh, Detroit's going to be behind constantly. So while that offensive line is pretty good, you know, they're going to be passing while they're behind. Jared Goff is not afraid to throw the ball down the field, especially in a contract sort of year where he's trying to trying to prove to the Lions that he's worth sticking around as the starter. He's going to be throwing the ball down the field. Uh, to try to change the narrative surrounding his performance. So don't think he's going to have that much work in the passing game. Don't like that they're going to be behind all the time. 
And what really uh, sinks DeAndre Swift for me is the presence of Jamal Williams. Everybody loves Jamal Williams who plays with him. Coaches love him. He's pretty good. He's not as good as DeAndre Swift. He's pretty good. But he will be taking work, taking drives from Swift. And I don't see the Lions offense or Swift's talent being enough, you know, to, to compensate for the presence of Jamal Williams. Uh, and, you know, he should reasonably expect stack boxes all year with a complete lack of receiving options there. So yep. maybe a talent gonna... nice and young, but, but pretty much every factor you could have going against you, he has going against him. Maybe besides that, uh, that offensive line. Yep, and just and if we haven't seen the trend, uh, after like our top 17, 18 running backs, we're really taking pot shots here. We, these are guys who like the position is extremely shallow because of what happened in free agency, what happened in the draft. And it's so thin and really it, it only enhances the early running back drafting strategy. And we'll get into that on in a later episode, how, how you should draft for both redraft and dynasty because there's a lot of different theories. I'm a fan of a couple. I know you're a fan of a couple. Um, and it's an interesting discussion. It's really fascinating and it goes in a lot of psychology and uh, supply and demand, a lot of economics. And yep. yeah, anyways, me, there, are, uh, there are 19 guys that if I were to be uh, interested in having secure, solid running backs, there are 19 guys I'd be comfortable with having as my running back one or running back two for me it's uh, even less yeah and, and that'll come up in our difference in strategy uh, in the draft but stay tuned for that and in, uh, in a coming episode for sure yep deandre swift's also a little bit of part of the media uh, pe- uh coaches are saying he's going to be a handful he he's he's going to see touches but they are going to see a committee so i don't know to me he's like He's got upside. To me, he's purely ranked on upside, and uh, his downside could be horrible. I completely agree. They're going to dare the Lions to throw. And going into our running backs, that's – sorry, going into our wide receivers, that's going to be great for Tyrell Williams. And a guy I love, Amon Ross St. Brown, possibly one of the best names in the NFL, and I think he was drafted way too low. I had him as a first-round draft pick in, in, our, in our NFL mock drafts. I think he's great. He's got he's got so much that you want out of a wide receiver, uh, but they're going to dare the lines to throw. And it's everything's you were right. Everything's against DeAndre Swift. But to me, it's who else has his upside, and there's not a lot. All right, so I think we're going to end it on that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Next week, we're going to be going over our wide receiver rankings, and we could possibly have a guest host. So could be fun. Instead of a two-man crew, we'll have a three-man crew. So thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Fantasy Fallout podcast. Peace out.